Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Joe Francis Penn. And in this episode, I'm talking to Brianna Media about Nowhere for Very Long, the unexpected road to an unconventional life. Brianna talks about questioning the established route through life, the one we're told to live by society and other people. Where and how to live, who to love, what job to do, and how she was able to step away from expectations and make a different kind of life, even though that was scary and hard in many ways. She also talks about the realities of van life, how you don't have to go to another country to travel, as well as loving the desert in Utah, a place that Brianna says speaks to her soul. We also discuss the comforting feeling of insignificance in the face of natural beauty and talk about how her four dogs are the centre of her world. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Brianna today. Brianna Media is the author of Nowhere for Very Long, The Unexpected Road to an Unconventional Life. So welcome, Brianna. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you today. And I, I wanted to start about how you talk in the book about how you feel you didn't quite fit in the place where you grew up. And then later on, you felt that unease again. And I wonder, because many of us feel unease in our life, but how do we identify that feeling of not belonging and, and know that we actually do have to leave? Because it's a big step. It is. And this is one of the things that makes me so oddly grateful now for the place that I grew up. Um, I grew up in a place that felt it was very, there was a lot of wealth. It was right outside New York city. It was very like a go-getter type of place. And, and I found myself from a very early age looking around and and wondering why, Um, because I knew so many people and I would see so many people who were doing things in their lives, choosing the paths that they were choosing almost as like a performance for the people around them, as opposed to what really called to their spirit, if you will. And so I I kind of started to just question, whose idea is this? Whose, <laughs> whose dreams do we end up dreaming? Because a lot of the times I think, you know, we grow up and we, it's like as kids, we're almost put on a conveyor belt, right? Like we are told, this is the, this is, these are the steps you go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids, you, and, and I think it's so interesting that, that we wonder why so many adults wake up one day looking around and wondering when did I make these decisions? And so I think constantly asking why. And and when I grew up, it was a lot easier, right? Like when I was a teenager, it was a lot easier to be rebellious. It was a lot easier to say, screw this way of life I've seen. But then I found myself right 
kind of back into it when I had moved out to Utah and I was working at a software company and it was a great little company and there wasn't anything wrong on the surface with, with that decision. It just never felt like mine. And I was, it, it, I was taken aback by, I was like, wow, I'm really going to have to consistently ask myself, check in with myself. Is this what I want to be doing? Who am I doing this for? And I think a lot of the times when people want to leave a situation, it's terrifying, but I like to try to remind people that mostly it's socially terrifying, right? Like when we say the safe choice, it's a safe choice to stay in the town that we grew up in. It's a safe choice to stay at the job that's paying the bills, but not necessarily lighting your heart on fire. I think what the safety of that comes more from the social safety. You know, if I leave my job, what are my friends going to say? What are my parents going to say? I mean, I can, from personal experience, say that when you call to tell your mother that you're going to leave your job with a 401k and a nice uh, salary to go live in a van, (laughs) it it is not the most comfortable conversation. And so I think kind of consistently questioning your motives and and making sure that you're doing things because you want to do them because at the end of the day you go home from your nice job to your nice house and it might look all nice on the outside but if that's not if that wasn't your main goal if that's not the way you saw your life going i think it's okay to to ask yourself even if you have like this kind of traditional if it looks like you're very successful from the outside, right? I think mm. I think that's the interesting thing is a lot of people that I talk to, I mean, myself included, I was making really good money. I was very, very comfortable. And it's hard to go from being comfortable to being knowingly uncomfortable. So you talk there about being comfortable. And I find this uh, completely brilliant because, of course, in the book, you talk about going back to the basics of living in your van, Bertha, which are uh, some brilliant <laughs> pictures on Instagram. And it's interesting because in the, these pandemic times, I think a lot of people have rediscovered a need or a quest for simplicity. But mm. there's a big difference between downsizing your bookshelf to, <laughs> to the sort of living in a van. So perhaps you could talk about living. What are the pros? and cons of living in a van because the hash van life feed on Instagram sometimes looks quite romantic but the book your book makes it clear it's not always romantic right yes so I mean first and foremost the cons of living in a van is that you're living in a van (laughs) (laughs) I mean the pros and the cons to me they kind of overlap and I guess I should clarify that the thing that was unique about Bertha was that she was very bare bones and still is. In fact, just at this very moment, I'm finally kind of giving her the internal makeover that you probably see on the van life hashtags. But Bertha was never meant to be a rolling apartment. And I think that that's what can be very daunting about the van life hashtags. And that's why it can look so romantic is a lot of these vans. I mean, the build outs, the costs, there is like 50,000 to 150,000 US if you if you really want you know the sky I mean I've seen vans with skylights in them and these off-road sprinter vans and that conversion and it it really gets very very expensive and 
I'm, I've never been, been here to judge and say that you're not doing van life. Right. And I, I wrote about this in my book that I find the van life hashtag so funny because it's just a bunch of people arguing about who's breaking the rules. Right. Like we all kind of set out to, to find something different. And so that's okay. But that's not very feasible for a lot of people. I treated Bertha and my time living in Bertha. She was a conduit of getting me to the desert because that's where I really found that simplicity. So Bertha was a bed and a couple cabinets and a camp stove that I would pull out of the back. (laughs) Um, She was very, very simple. And I liked that because that to me felt like the point of van life was trying to figure it out. And I think that we are brilliant at obscuring the the simple in favor of the complicated, because that's just the world that we live in now, right? Like why, like no one ever thinks, where do I get my water? And Mm -hmm. the answer is probably pretty simple. If you look around, there's a lot of places that have potable water. Like you go to the gas station and there's like a sign right there, potable drinking water. (laughs) it's just little kind of parts of the world that you never saw that were there because you didn't need to. And so it was just going back to the basics of having to just keep yourself alive and not having these little creature comforts and trying to figure out a way to stay cool in the summer and stay warm in the winter without these really grandiose appliances and things like that. And it sounds silly. It sounds like, well, what is the point of that? And again, I think it goes back to where I grew up, where it was just such opulence everywhere. And it it didn't feel as human to me just because there's so many people, you know, like I live, when I lived in a van, I it was still absolute luxury compared to so many people around the world and how they live their lives on a day to day looking for drinking water and trying to keep themselves comfortable and cool. And, and so to me, that was just like a a much more human experience than Mm. pushing a button on a wall to change the temperature. And so I think that if that's what you're looking for, that's why I went into the whole van life thing. And I think that it can be accomplished without a van. I think a lot of us are leaning more towards minimalism, which is great. But the downside of the of social media in that regard is that we've kind of made minimalism the opposite of, of minimalism. Like it's, be, it's become this like very big, almost unattainable feeling thing for regular people. Like how could I possibly become a minimalist? <laughs> because the tiny houses and everything costs, it's trendy, it's expensive now. And so I've just tried really hard to, to remind myself constantly that Bertha was a means to an end. My goal was always to be out in the desert. I mean, leaving my job, uh, leaving the East coast, it, it, it was all just sort of a way to get me to the most, in my mind, the most simple place of all, which was the desert. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I I do a lot of uh, long distance walking, and so I carry all my stuff. And and in that sense, it's is very minim- minimalist because it's all on my back. <laughs> and if I carry too much, then it really really hurts. And yes. <laughs> so and also I I feel like traveling uh, a part of why I travel to places where I can't read the language and I can't necessarily I don't know where the toilet is or like you said about drinking water. You know, I go to some countries I can't drink water from the tap or the, right. these are challenges that challenge our sense of what is comfortable and our comfort zone is kind of completely different but I I often feel like on this show particularly we talk about travelers leaving the borders of our country and going somewhere foreign but it, it feels like you've sort of defined travel or you've experienced travel within the USA, your your own yeah. country, but is it because it's such a diverse place, or have you actively made it somewhere different to where you grew up? I, I definitely moved quite far from where I grew up, but as soon as I got out here, I mean, gosh, I've <laughs> I've hung out in the same deserts for like ten years now, <laughs> so it's. I mean, there's always out here at where I live in Utah, I I feel like there's always something around every corner because I've found a place that really speaks to my soul. However, I will say that I have such regrets because I grew up in New England on the East Coast for 21 years. And outside of going to college in Rhode Island and growing up in Connecticut, I didn't go much of anywhere. And I just, I think that we get comfortable and especially now with social media, we look at, we look online and we think that travel has to be a week holiday in a tropical place, or you have to be taking a selfie on an airplane in order to be (laughs) traveling. And there were so many beautiful places that, that I could have easily gotten to over the weekend back back in Connecticut and I, I have I'm embarrassed at how little I explored where I actually grew up and I think a lot of people feel that way you just tend to um, fall into this routine of like oh I've probably seen it all and I think that that's another reason that I've fallen so in love with the desert is I just know it's such a classic example of a landscape where it's impossible to have seen it all you can always look and find something new. And I wish I had applied that thinking to um, the place that I grew up because I believe there's beautiful things everywhere. I mean, I'll never forget it. I took a trip to Idaho and I am driving through, you know, a lot of people hear Idaho and we, we picture potato corn fields flat in every direction. Mm. And I'm driving through this corn field And there's this little dirt trail and I'm following a a little GPS pin that someone had dropped for me. And I get out and I'm walking down this, the the road with my dogs, this dusty old closed off road. And I get to the edge of this little cliff and down in the center of this cornfield, about a hundred feet down is a turquoise Caribbean blue spring. That was like this unbelievable oasis. And I I just said out loud, I was like, okay, there's something everywhere. You know, everywhere is something to someone. And I think that that's the really cool thing about changing your mindset about what travel is, is you're passing through other people's worlds and other people's lives. And even if it's not a million miles away from your own, 
that's still so formative and important to getting out of your own mind because yes, travel, it's, it's amazing. And a lot of us think of it as, as we're going to go have this great experience. We're going to go get a good tan. We're going to have some great photos to show our family when we get back. But ultimately travel changes your mind and changes the way that you see the world, the way you see other people, the way you relate to current events that are happening, the way you relate to other people. And I don't think you need to go to a different country to gain that type of experience and to get that type of benefit from travel. And so, yeah, I, I have a blast just kind of hanging out and, 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 going to just new little towns in the same state that I've always kind of hung out in for the last few years. And I I just, I find it kind of comforting to know that there's always something to be discovered, not very far from where you are, because I think that removes some of the limitations that people feel around the concept of travel. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And again, I think the pandemic helped us do that. I mean, I certainly spent a lot more time (laughs) in my local area than I I had done before. But let's come back to the desert. You said uh, it's a place that speaks to my soul. And and I'm an English city girl, but I also love the desert. And I I feel like I want to go places like Namibia, which, you know, has this enormous desert. Now, I've never been to Utah. So if I was coming to the deserts of Utah, what, what are your some of your favorite places I, I realize a lot of it would be difficult to get to but if I was coming there as a tourist what are your must-see places so I just bought some land a bit ways south of Moab and so Moab is southeast Utah and it's just quintessential desert it's Arches National Park it's just these mind-blowing sandstone formations and towers and and I think the amazing thing is that Utah has so much. We have mountains, we have plains, we have deserts, we have rivers. And I mean, the Wasatch Mountains are amazing. There's amazing skiing outside of Salt Lake City. Um, and it's right outside. I mean, framing the city. I'll never, I'll never forget when I first moved there and it had finally stopped snowing. There was, uh, I'm at an intersection and there's a McDonald's arches And right behind them is this unbelievable panoramic mountain that almost looked like a green screen. It just didn't look real. And so the mountains in Utah are amazing, but the desert was really what spoke to me because I had never felt that alone. And I think you can relate, obviously, being a city person. I grew up in very much a city environment. And I didn't think. It, it just never felt like there was anything actually left to discover. And in Utah, there are just so many dirt roads to turn down. There's so many off the beaten path places to, to go. Obviously, outside of Zion, I mean, we have five national parks and they're all amazing. But the really incredible thing to me about Utah is how many places are not national parks. So, and they're just arguably just as amazing sometimes, but a lot more remote, a lot quieter. It definitely requires a bit more navigational skills. There's the canyoneering opportunities in Utah. If you come to Utah, you absolutely have to go canyoneering. 
we have the most on the Colorado plateau, we have the highest uh, concentration of slot canyons. So it's just this really amazing sort of specific to this area type of activity. And there's just so many things about it that, that were so foreign to me. It's like being on a different planet. There's a restaurant in Moab that has a list of all of the movies that were filmed in Utah. And obviously it's all like old Westerns and movies about Mars. <laughs> so it's, like, it's kind of like a cowboy, a, a, a outer space cowboy <laughs> type, type desert. And it's so interesting because you mentioned there about feeling alone. And I also love these massive landscapes where you feel insignificant. And some people are scared of that insignificance, but I I felt like I understood what you talked about because I relish insignificance. It almost puts my life into perspective and helps with the big questions of life rather than making me depressed. So is that how you feel when you're alone out there? Absolutely. It's very counterintuitive to the rest of the society that we live in, which is like, we're all, there's this sense of self-importance and everything that I do wields this great power. And, and in, in many ways it, it does, but in so many more ways it doesn't. And that to me, it sounds, sounds a little out there, but like, that's a core belief behind why I do most of the things that I do is because I have sat in these canyons that have been formed and shaped over millions of years, there are etchings from indigenous people from thousands and thousands of years ago on the wall to my right that I can very clearly still see. And it's like, I am but a fleck of dust. And it's like in the grand scheme of this planet that we're all on, what does my mistake mean? I was, I embarrassed myself yesterday at the party. Okay. So <laughs> the world turns, the water still flows, the sun still rises. And I just think that it has helped me to remove this sense of self-importance because that can be a burden and that can really prevent you from actually doing some of the things that really just speak to you. Because if you're so worried about everything else outside of you and what the impact that I'm going to have, it's like, we are so, so, so small. And that is just so comforting because it should take the weight off, should take, take a bit of the burden off that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to make mistakes because it's just, it's a great big wide world and you are just a very small part of it. Yeah, it definitely helps to get some perspective. Well, well, then I did want to ask you also about Instagram <laughs> because I, I also use Instagram, but I feel like sometimes there are places and experiences I have where I feel it's important to share because I know a lot of people can't see what I can see or experience where I am. But equally, sometimes I feel like I don't want to share this because this is for me. So how do you balance that keeping experience for yourself or or sharing it? You know, I struggled with that a lot in the beginning because I was 26 when I started really posting regularly on Instagram and sort of all these people are arriving on my page and wanting to know this story that I was still writing. And it was very overwhelming. And so I felt like I, I shared 
constantly. And it got to a point where I felt like I was no longer experiencing the places in the way that I used to prior to this concept of needing to share. Um, And it's hard, right? Because like you said, there's people who don't get to see these things. And I mean, the pandemic, perfect example, I felt really guilty in the beginning, because I live in a place that I was so fortunate that I live in a place where I could still go and do all of the, th- I mean, my hobbies are wandering around in the middle of nowhere with my dogs, <laughs> it's a very pandemic friendly activity. And I, it, I was relatively unaffected in terms of like my ability to get outside to do the things that comforted me. And I felt bad about sharing that on, on Instagram and but I would get these messages from people say, oh gosh, this is just such a nice little escape to watch your dogs running around in the desert. I'm stuck here at this. I'm, I'm on an off shift. I'm, an, I'm a nurse at a hospital. I mean, I would get these messages all the time. And so I do try to find the balance between, I, it, it sounds strange to say, oh, my dog videos are helpful <laughs> to people, <laughs> but they are. I mean, and I, there's plenty of people that I follow on Instagram and the, the things that they show me via their feed are, do mean something to me. And they are nice. They are calming. They're relaxing. They're inspiring. And so I think just finding that balance of knowing why you want to share what you're sharing and then also making sure that it doesn't completely take away from the experience. And to post a story or two, that's like 15, 30 seconds. And so I also try to keep that in mind that I'm out in these places for days on end, and I may post a minute's worth of the time out there. So yeah, it's definitely a balance, but I do love that it means something to people. If I didn't feel that it, that it was really benefiting people in a way, then I don't know I I may have just stopped sharing entirely, especially when my own life took a really dark turn and I was going through some really hard times. And I was like, why am I still on here? Why am I still? And it's because I did, I, I did like, I do like feeling like people can relate. And that's the beauty and the, the hard thing about social media is finding that boundary between what am I giving and what is, what feels like it's being taken. I guess. Yeah, no, I, I do get it. I've been podcasting since 2009 and sometimes mm-hmm. I felt like giving it up and then you get the email or, or someone says something that it, it helped them and you want to, to carry on. So I completely get the, the difficulty of balancing it there. But let's talk about your dogs because in the book, <laughs> I think there's three and now you've got four. Four, <laughs> yeah, just I mean, never enough. Just, <laughs> it, that, that is just crazy. I mean, many people, obviously people love their dogs. You're a dog person. Um, but they also sometimes feel like it's harder to maybe go places with dogs. So how do you balance like freedom with having dogs? And also how have they played a part in your experience, I guess, as a single woman? Well, I mean, my life truly revolves entirely around them. And it became that way. I mean, obviously, I've always loved my dogs. But when I moved into Bertha years ago, and I only had Bucket and Dagwood, I had to figure out how to take them to work with me. I had to figure out how to get them the adequate, hi Birdie, how to get them the (laughs) adequate exercise. Um, And it just kind of 
it was really hard. It, it was very, very challenging. And especially Utah is a great example. There's, we have so many national parks and there's really strict dog rules. A lot of them, I mean, Canyonlands in Moab is so beautiful, but dogs are not even supposed to be in the car, let alone walking out anywhere in the park. So it was very limiting. And yet through those limitations, I ended up finding the type of environment that I prefer, if that makes any sense. There's lots of beautiful places that don't allow dogs. And so I had to get more creative and find further off places that maybe weren't as breathtaking, right? I, you know, it's not delicate arch. It's not angels landing in Zion. It's not these necessarily these places that you're going to see on a billboard, but it's, it, these places became more beautiful to me because I went out there to let my dogs be dogs. And I think that that was, is the ultimate freedom. And it changed my perspective on what is beautiful. And like, that's, we love that about dogs, right? That's why they're the best because (laughs) they offer such a tremendous perspective on how the simplest things can be so joyful. I mean, my dogs could be running through Arches National Park, or they could be running through an open field out in the middle of nowhere with some butte off to the left and they don't care. It's a beautiful place. They're stretching their legs. Their noses are to the ground. They're just happy as can be. And I think that that is so much more beautiful to me to witness that as a true, like diehard dog person, that, that was the freedom of, I was looking for. That was the feeling that I was looking for in terms of this lifestyle. So it's not easy at all to travel with four dogs or to find an Airbnb that will let you stay with four dogs or to live in a 22 foot trailer with four dogs. But ultimately my day to day is creating space and freedom for them, which has in turn given me the life of my dreams. I mean, all, all I've really tried to do is make them happy. And in turn, I have, I am so happy because I've just learned so much about being able to see the beauty in places that a lot of other people might drive by because my dogs think everything is beautiful. They think every day is beautiful. It doesn't take much to impress them. And I think that that's (laughs) such an enviable quality nowadays. (laughs) It is. It really is. But do do you feel that they helped you as when you were traveling as a single woman? Because I know a lot of people feel scared about going out in the desert, for example, and and you were, yes, you were alone, but I think you pretty much always had dogs with you, right? Yes. Yes. And I definitely, you know, that's something that has always made me feel safe for certain. Like I drove and I wasn't always alone. I'm recently divorced, got divorced in the midst of writing this book. (laughs) And so that was very startling to me because I I say I I used to, I, I used to think I knew what it was to be alone. And I really didn't. And I still would argue that my dogs in a way I've never been as alone as, as I could have been because my dogs are 
my company, my family, my, you know, I talk, I have conversations at them. I won't say with them because they certainly don't say anything back. I never, I don't think I ever would have had the courage to spend a month in Mexico. I drove to Mexico. And like you said earlier, I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I can absolutely beg and borrow my way through one conversation, but I don't think I would have felt as comfortable not even just in terms of physical safety, but emotional safety. I mean, there's something so, so lonely about not even being able to understand the conversations that are happening around you. Just the small talk at the coffee shop or overhearing what two people are talking about at dinner. Like these are little things that are comforting that you don't realize until you are in a place where you don't understand anything that's going on. And that's so humbling and important, but also I think I would have been really intimidated if I didn't then have my, my tent to crawl back into with my dogs. And yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to be nuts, right. To come up to a woman with four big dogs, (laughs) but I wouldn't, I've, I've not ever deterred them from barking if someone comes up to the car quickly so that was sort of helpful. It's just kind of feeling that sense of safety and comfort and companionship. Yeah. I mean, I think that obviously I, I, my wish for every human being on earth is that they sh- could get a dog because <laughs> I think it, it's all kinds of benefits, but especially, yeah, especially traveling and, and being a little nervous and just having that consistent source of comfort and familiarity and safety. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I did feel that your book was often a love letter to your dogs. It was lovely to read that. Um, but talking of books, this is the books and travel show. So apart from your book, what are a couple of travel memoirs or travel books that you recommend? So To Shake the Sleeping Self by Jedediah Jenkins, that's one of my um, favorites. He is such a tremendous writer. He had never even ridden really a a road bike before. And uh, the first chapter in that book just punched me right in the gut. And he talks beautifully about what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast of just, you know, how do we end up where we end up? How do we wake up one day and, and wonder where it all went and where the time went? And So that was a a really motivational book for me that I really enjoyed. My friend, Steph Jagger, um, her second book is coming out, Everything Left to Remember. And it is about a camping and trip, a cross-country trip that she took with her mother after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And uh, I've had the, the privilege of reading an advanced copy and it's really just astounding. And I think it's I think it's going to be a really tremendous book. And that comes out late April, just after mine. Pam Houston is an author that I absolutely love. And I don't know that this falls squarely under travel, but her book, it's a collection of short stories called Cowboys Are My Weakness. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I love the title. She had um, a series of just when she was younger, she would date cowboys or these really rugged outdoorsmen. And she would go on all these adventures with them. And, and it's, she's a tough and an amazing woman and an amazing writer, but it also, it, it plays on the things we do for love and, and the places we go literally physically and emotionally for love. And, and I loved that book just because you know, much of the things, much of the adventures and the types of adventures I started going on were because they were things that my ex-husband was interested in. 
And I fell in love with them sort of because he introduced me. And I think there's this very cool power in, yes, I've been introduced to something, but then choosing to continue it on your own, even in in the wake of the end of those relationships that might've formed that interest. And so I think that she discusses that really beautifully. And so that really speaks to me a lot. Fantastic. So where can people find you and your book and everything you do online? So my uh, Instagram is Brianna Media. Just look for the orange and the dogs. You can't miss it. My website is briannamedia.com. You can purchase the book through there. You can also find it anywhere that books are sold. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. I'm offering signed copies. I think there's a handful left from a little independent bookshop in Salt Lake City called The King's English. And all of these things are linked on my website. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Brianna. That was great. Thank you. So nice talking to you. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.